some reason I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, uh, or you're visiting, or uh, you're looking for a church, my name is Jesse, and I just want to welcome you, thankful uh, that you would visit us, and of course all of you that, for the most part that I see out here that, that are regulars, we love you, and, and we're super thankful that you made it, uh, and uh, three weeks in a row now, we've either landed on a major storm or the day after, so attendance has been through the roof the last three weeks. Um, it's made it difficult for sure, and uh, we're going to do another topical message this morning. I know most of us are used to going through a book, uh, but we're going to be in First uh, John, so you can turn there, and the title of the message is Fellowship. We'll talk about that here in a moment. <clears throat> um, I am going to be starting, yeah, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and and uh, uh, love to give you one. The um, the We're going to be starting Ruth. And I don't totally know yet when, uh, when yet. Uh, Wayne, Wayne keeps asking me, when are we going to start? We're going to start. And I'm like, I'm not exactly sure yet. And the biggest reason is when I start a series, I want to make sure that, that those who call SBC home and are here on a regular basis will be able to attend as many of, of the series as possible. And obviously the snowstorms haven't allowed us to do, uh, to do that. So we will start Ruth soon. And then uh, if you've been part of our family for a few years, you know that we've been dedicated to releasing what we call a, a VISTA report, uh, or an annual report every year. We've done that for several years. Uh, a lot of work has gone into that document when we produce it. I don't know how many of you have accessed it or used it or seen it, but it's usually 40 pages. talks about all the different ministries we have, um, all the things we provide, has our financial status stuff in there, where the money goes for the church, uh, kind of a quick glance stuff uh, for transparency purposes and to allow you to ask questions about things. And um, we're going to be launching that soon, too. So it's all finished and done, uh, but we've changed it. I, I actually uh, want to change a couple things uh, that I think will help streamline things for our church. One is, one is we've taken the report from 40 pages uh, to four pages. And, and uh, it really is just a highlight of, uh, what's that? How t- it's pretty tiny. Um, we'll provide some special glasses for you. Uh, and uh, it is it, it will be in a tabloid. We're actually going to make some posters of them uh, that will be around the church as well. And really what it is is the intention when we launched that years ago was to celebrate what we have accomplished as a church and as a family. And, and it turned into this like massive thing that, that was very usable but not necessarily as celebratory. Uh, and so we're going to highlight the things that we're celebrating. And then, and then what you can look forward to is we're going to redo – um, basically our visitor packets, which will be like that, what the annual report was. We'll talk about all the ministries that we have uh, and the descriptions of them and what we provide. And, and, and um, all of this just, you know, takes an incredible amount of work and energy. And, and we don't, when we produce stuff, I don't know uh, how many of you really appreciate this, but when we produce stuff, it looks really good. Not only is it filled with good content, but it looks really good. Uh, and it takes a lot of different pieces and a lot of different volunteers and a lot of coordination to make that happen. Uh, and so I'm really thankful for those who, who help. But we'll launch that here soon, and I'm going to talk a little bit about it in the message uh, for a reason. So those are things to be looking forward to uh, as, as we progress uh, over the coming uh, you know, weeks or so. So sometime in March, a lot of those things will be kicked off. Um, with that said, uh, let's honor the word of the Lord, if you're able to this morning, and stand with me as we read from First John. <clears throat> Chapter 1, verse 3. 
That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. And the church said, and Maybe seated. Let me just start with a question. How, how happy do you think you really are? How much joy do you really have? Probably not the right question to ask after the last three weeks for some of you. Uh, someone came to me at uh, the beginning of the service. It was a very humbling statement and said, because um, they know I don't really appreciate the snow as many of, uh, as some of you do, and said, please, we love you. Don't move. <laughs> And, um, but nonetheless, right, th- this idea of, of how happy you are or, or really how connected are you might be another uh, way to ask this question. How intimate are you with Jesus right now? Like, if you could grade, which is kind of a weird thing, if you could grade your relationship with God, what kind of grade would you give it? Where are you at with him? And, and then it, by extension... Well, how well are you connected to God's people? What kind of grade would you give yourself there? As far as relationships and friendships, what would you grade yourself in? See, the, the message this morning is on fellowship, and when I talk about fellowship, I'm, I'm talking about two parts to fellowship that are deeply connected with one another. You can't separate them. The first one is obviously your relationship and your intimacy with Jesus Christ. Like, are you friends with Jesus? That was part of the question. How close are you with the Lord? And then when you talk with a fellowship, you're, you're also talking about with one another. Fellowship isn't a term that we necessarily use in secular society. It's a, it's a term and a word uh, that, that's used really in church. And so some of us understand it. I, I was thinking this week, in part because my kids are, um, are just at that age where they're starting to really enjoy epic storytelling, uh, and so my wife and I uh, have watched the first, with some of our kids, the first, uh, the first Lord, couple movies of the Lord of the Rings. Right, so there's, a, there's the usage of the word that we might understand, we, the fellowship of the ring, right? And so when we talk about fellowship, what is it that we're saying when we say relationship with, with God and relationship with each other? What is it that we mean by fellowship? The word that John uses here is koinonia. Everyone say koinonia. It literally means to share something. It's sharing or to have in common. The word sharing is, is really important. It, it means that you don't just believe in God, that you share in God with one another. And for those of you who are parents, you know the idea of sharing and having commonality with something, if you have multiple kids, is really difficult. Just last night, my, my, uh, my wife was reading to our oldest son, which is a practice that, that we've had from day one. We read to our kids, 
And it's what it has produced is is kids that love to read, especially my oldest at the age that he's at. He 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 will get up after everyone's asleep, come downstairs and sit on the couch when they don't know, and he'll just read until he's too tired. He loves reading. So here we are in storytelling, which is a big part of our family. And uh, and my daughter pulls out this old uh, toy that doesn't work anymore. Okay, and she starts to play with it, and my oldest goes, "Uh, Jolie." please don't play with that. And, and then I go, what's the big deal? Well, it's important to me. You're reading with mom. She's share, but it's fine. Okay, Jolie, you can use it, but just put it back when you're done. So he allowed her to use it, but, but they're like the, one of the first things my kids have learned, all of them is the word that's mine, but that's mine. My, my youngest David, who's two, even, he, he will literally steal something from his brother's room. My brothers will then say, can I have that back? You got that out of my room. And he will say, no, it's mine. He, and to which my response is, okay, everyone, the arguing gets to a certain point, just so everyone's clear. Peyton, Jonah, Jolie, David, nothing's yours. You own nothing. And I'll allow them to understand that dad can take it at any given moment. Nothing belongs to you okay it doesn't work but the reality is nothing is theirs okay they don't understand the importance or the idea or the joy of sharing and fellowship fellowship is so important to god that it's actually we're actually introduced to the idea of fellowship all the way in the very first book of the bible in genesis let me reference genesis chapter 2 verse 28 how many of you remember right God creates Adam. This is before the fall. This is before sin. There's still perfect union between Adam and God. So you would think that God and Adam are in perfect fellowship. Like you would think, you think there's nothing lacking. Adam has everything. And yet at the end of making Adam, he then says that it is not good for man to be alone. You remember? This isn't good. So he creates for Adam someone that's equal to him, but uniquely different. Right? And it's a beautiful unity, beautiful relationship. Again, all before the fall of mankind. What's incredible about this particular statement is that this is made, again, before the fall. And, it, and the reason, I think, is, is not only because was it bad for Adam, it wasn't good for God. And let me be clear when I make this statement that it wasn't for, good for God, that in no way am I making a theological statement that in some way before the creation of man, that God was in any way lacking anything. See, when we think of community and fellowship, we have to see that, that God, so, so God wasn't like, how many of you read the, the book Indian in the Cupboard? Man, more people read in the first service than this service. Most of them knew about it. it it's, it's an incredible story of a little toy Indian who comes alive, right? And this little boy plays with this little toy Indian and to me, I remember thinking there was just something amazing about being a grown person, looking down at another little human grown person that, that was alive that you could like almost like kind of control, you know, like as if God is somehow the boy and we're like the Indian and God's in control of everything. And he, he just needed it for, he needed to create mankind for, for his own, you know, entertainment because he was lonely. You know, God's never been lonely. 
When God made Adam, according to Genesis, God says, let us make man in our image. It's, it's a reference to the Trinity. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all there in the beginning, creating Adam in his image. See, God has always been in perfect community, perfect fellowship, perfect one-anotherness from, from way before time began, forever, eternity past. So God didn't create us because he was lonely he wasn't. He created us as a declaration of his glory, and in doing so, we desire community and fellowship and one anotherness because we're made in the image of God. It's just, it's just like, like, why do you create? Does anyone like creating anything? Any painters in the room or, 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 or writers? Or, oh, yeah. Anka. Anka does art, right? Jim's not here. He does art. John does. Like, I'm not the biggest creator, but there, even though I don't like the snow, and I don't, um, when I go into the, when I have cleared my driveway, and I have two driveways, I have my one driveway at the beginning of the house, and on the other side of the house, I have another driveway, which is stupid, okay? Don't have two driveways. It's dumb. And, and I'll go through, and I'll clear out one driveway, and, which is the important one, so the wife and the kids can, can get out of the house if it catches on fire, or we can go down to 7-Eleven get food because we're not going into town anywhere near Safeway. And so, and then we clear out the other driveway, right? And after it's all said and done, I'll look back and I'll be like, I've created something. Right? I, I like the look, especially when we have a lot of snow, of a nice tall wall, perfectly carved out. Even to the point when, like, it's at the point now where, where the wall is so tall that it creates layers and the layers start to creep back into your driveway. And, and some of the people who plow in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, what? I never go outside anyway. So anyway. <laughs> And I'll go through and I'll cut it back down and make it just perfectly straight. And I'll look back and I'm like, man, I created, I created like a little house for, for my cars, but there's just no roof. There should be a roof. In all honesty, there should be a roof. Then I wouldn't have to create the walls. But the point being is I'll look back and I'll, there's some satisfaction there. Any guys in the room at the very least that kind of, some girls as well, you're like, I love my little path. I saw your path on, on Instagram to your art room. Your little one person, I wouldn't fit in it unless I walked sideways, but it's a good path. <clears throat> there's something about creating and the reason that we enjoy creating is because we are made in the image of God. God is the creator. So we like to produce stuff. Right? Because we're made in his image. In the same way, he's in perfect community. We desire perfect fellowship and community. We want it. We yearn for it. Even if you're an introvert, you need this. You need the church, you need intimacy with God. Now, I'm saying this as an introvert. And I, I've said that at church before, and, and inevitably someone you know, who doesn't know me that well will say, you're an introvert? But it, there's no way you're an introvert. How do you preach? Just because I can preach doesn't mean I'm not an introvert. It's, it's a different gift set. Like, this is easier for me to do, if I'm honest with you, as my family. This is easier for me to do than to have a conversation with you on the deck. It just is. I'm an introvert. It's like, Jesus loves you. It's like, man, look at how, look how much energy he has. He must love people. And then I get on the deck and I'm like, hey, welcome. how are you doing? I'm, I don't need you. I got to go. Awkward conversation. But it's hard for me. It's, it's harder for me to do those things. And my wife, my wife, my wife has actually said to me, I am so thankful that you are a pastor because if you weren't, you'd never leave the house. And I say, that's true. <laughs> it's probably totally true. And I've seen, though, the benefit, the benefit of being forced into community, 
forced into relationship. And how it, how it is, as James says, he says in here that your joy, if you look at verse 4, I say these things. Everything in the book of John, 1 John, is written for your joy. And we've said it before, so much of biblical truth is inextricably connected to your joy that you would actually be happy. So there's this part of me, and some of you are in the room and you know exactly what I'm talking about where I say, how good would it be to be at home and never be around anybody? And you're like, that sounds like amazing. That would be so good. But after a week, you will hate yourself. Because I've done that. I've had vacations where I'm like, dude, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not talk to anybody. And like day one, I'm like, this is life. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to do whatever I want. And, and then after like five days, I'm like, I feel disgusting. I feel so lonely. And, and someone said to me this morning, they said, I didn't want to come to church today. And it had nothing to do with the weather. I just don't want to be around anybody. And she said, you know what? It is amazing how much better I feel now that I've come. She goes, and I'll know it. I'll know it. And so... <laughs> God has created this thing in you, and sin, sin inside of you detracts you from, I don't, I want to be by myself, I want to be alone, and this gal, she said to me, and I'm an extrovert, and I didn't want to be around anybody today, and yet God still used it, there's this, this sharing, and so, so the reason, the reason it's so important to God isn't because he needed it, but God in his wisdom knew that one human would not enjoy God as much as many humans together. Are you with me? God, saw, it wasn't, God wasn't like, okay, I'm going to be magnified. All I need is Adam. No, no, no. God's like, in order for me to be magnified the way that's truly best, in order for man to truly enjoy God, they need to share God together. They're gonna, we need more people to share inside of God's presence and fellowship. More is better when it comes to the worship and, and centrality of Jesus. Are, are you with me? So, so the idea of all, all I'm really trying to attempt to do at this point is define for you what fellowship is, it's sharing, and why it's so important. And fellowship drives us in, into deeper community, and we share in specific things. So, so what do we share in, and how does it become more powerful? Let me, let me share those with you. Number one, I think I have five here this morning, if you like taking notes. Number one, the Bible says we share in communion. So, um, I, I don't want to be too boring for you, but one of, the, one of the sacraments, if you look at the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church has like tons of sacraments, all kinds of important things you're supposed to do. And, and, then, and then you come into Protestant Christianity and there's like two. And, and those sacraments are baptism and communion. It, it's almost like Martin Luther knew, you know, he's like, okay, listen, Catholic Church, this is too complicated. Let's dumb it down. But it's not. It's just the centrality of like God says, okay, listen, here are these things that you need to do that are important. You need to be baptized, and, and, and you need to partake in communion. And we share in that. The, the way that 1 Corinthians chapter 10 describes it is the cup of blessing in which we participate in the blood of Christ, and the bread that we break is participating in the body of Christ. One pastor says, when we drink the cup and eat the bread, we share in the benefits of the slain body and the shed blood of Jesus. We have a share in what that death achieved, he says. So last week, we participated in communion. We partook 
of the bread and we partook of the juice and, and which should be wine, but that's a whole nother issue that you know we're not going to get into this morning. And and we share in that. We do it together. In fact, in fact, when when we stand up front and the leaders of the church take the plate and then hand it to you, you take your part of the body of Christ. You then pass it to your brother or sister. They partake of the body of Christ, and then so on and so forth. It's a picture of this reality that, that the leadership needs to continually give the gospel to its people, and the people need to continually be giving the gospel to one another. Here's Christ. He's mine. He's for me, and he's for you as well. Remember the goodness of Jesus Christ. It's a shared experience within, within the building. It's a beautiful experience. It's, it's us saying, you need Jesus. Yes, I do. So do you. And we pass it down the line. So that's number one. Number two, we share in giving. And we get to talk about money, which is always popular. 2 Corinthians 8.1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So he's writing to these churches in one area, Macedonia, and he says this. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, there's joy again, and we say joy, okay? That's, that was just to make sure you were awake. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty has overflow, overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. Let me just describe for you, for those of you who aren't following the text, he says, listen, there's these churches in Macedonia, they're under severe affliction. They're being persecuted. But, and he also says in verse 2 of this passage, and they don't have a lot of money. The Bible says they're poverty-stricken. So they're being persecuted for their faith, and they don't have a lot of money. And in their abundance of joy, it says, they gave great generosity on their part. They were givers. And then he says, for they gave according to their means. And I can testify, he says, they gave beyond their means to their own accord, begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. If you look, it's almost what, what Paul's saying. Here. He says, listen, I want to tell you about these churches in Macedonia. They're being beat up, and they're poor. And, and even though they're poor and they're beat up, He's saying, I can tell you, they're giving, to, they're giving to all of the churches for the mission of God to go forward, and they're doing it according to their means. And he says, actually, they're going above and beyond their means. They're giving more than they should. It's almost if Paul's like, he's like, listen, you're poverty-stricken. You need to keep some of this from themselves. And the people in the church are saying, are they're begging, it says in the passage. They're begging. No, 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 no. We want to take part. We want to share in the relief of the saints. When you give to Sierra Bible Church financially, you are participating in all of its extenuating ministries. We have over 20, uh, some of our college-age people, some of our youth group are down there, our youth pastors down there, some parents are down there, just took a trip down to Mexico. So they drove down, which is to, to help tra uh, Travis and Amber with Sow Ministries, they drove down yesterday. Remember what was going on yesterday, anybody? Okay. They made it over the summit, so praise the Lord. They, they got to San Diego. I texted John this morning. He said, how's it going? He said, right now this morning, uh, they're suffering for the Lord, and they're, they're eating atypical waffles with uh, Atypical Waffle Company. 
Now, that may not mean much to you, but Amy and Joe Kraft, they go to church here. They have a specialized Belgian waffle shop in San Diego that is like, oh, so good. And so they're, I imagine it's a lot sunnier there than it is now. So they're in the sun eating really good food in the name of Jesus. And so this is a selling point for you to do missions next year with them, right? Um, so they're down there, and then they're preparing for VBS. They're going to church, and they're heading down to sow. When you, when you give to Sierra Bible Church, part of your money goes to that. You shared in that. You did that together. Everything that we have isn't because, isn't because just one person gave. It's because several of you participated in, the, in giving so that the church could do more for Jesus than without your participation. We do this together as a family. So on that, on that VISTA report, what you'll see, which I think is really, really cool, and, and I'll give you one correction on the report that I found out today. Um, we, we give to what's called, basically, it's called the uh, Great, Great Commission Fund. We give to another, another uh, district portion as well from our church. We tithe out of that from our church to, to church planting and missionaries that go global. This is outside of the eight mi uh, missionaries that we currently support. Outside of that, so don't include the eight missionaries we support like Wayne just talked about or like Jeff Gilpin or, or Neo or any of those other things or Travis and Amber. Outside of that, we gave 60, over $60,000 to church planting and missionaries globally just last year. $60,000. In addition to that, we raised for the Paradise Release Relief Fund over $20,000 as a church. Just gave it to another, to a whole other group of Christians to help rebuild in paradise. And I was corrected. A guy came up to me today and he said, he said, let me, let me just make sure that you know something. This is my church. And he says, you told us to give either through SBC or directly in the name of the Lord. And he goes, I personally gave an additional 35. So he, he said, we didn't give 20. We gave 55. Just want you to know. I said, okay. Thank you very much. And then on top of that, we gave another 20000 towards some other stuff. That doesn't include our deacons. That doesn't include uh, our, our regular missionary giving. That All, all told, it's over $100,000 that we gave away just in that special unique giving, which is more than 10% of our general budget. So when I say that, when we say, say, who gave the twenty grand? You did. Well, I only gave $10. You participated. You share in it. Every single celebration, even some of the hardship, we share in that together. We're in this together. The impact that we've had, you look at that report, largest VBS that we've ever done. Largest trunk or treat event that we've ever had. Over a thousand people passed through here during trunk or treat. We gave more boots away, more money away, more resources away than in the whole history that Sierra Bible Church has ever done. You participated in that. We share in it. We do it. It's not me going, you know what? Jesse did it. Wayne did it. No, no, no. We did it. No one person can do it by themselves. And so again, when God says it's not good for, for man to be alone, we have to do this together. And so, we, we, again, it's an encouragement to give, but it's an encouragement to participate in all of it, that we do this together. Jeff Gilpin, who's here this morning, he's our Awana missionary. 
Jeff is not doing those things by himself. You're part of that. This is koinonia. This is, this is fellowship. Number three, we share in his suffering. Philippians 3.10 says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, become like him in his death. To a degree, this, this now points to the reality that we should be sharing within evangelism. Let me read this quote here real quickly from David Mathis. He says, The koinonia, the sharing, the commonality, partnership, fellowship with which the first Christians shared wasn't a common love for pizza, pop, and a nice clean evening among the fellow churchified. No, it was their common Christ, their common life or death mission together in his summons to take the faith worldwide in the face of impending persecution. See, the reason I have to tie evangelism with persecution is because the American church is not persecuted unless it opens its mouth about the gospel. That's the American church. It's unique to us in the sense that we won't feel persecution unless we begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who don't know Jesus. Then you'll be persecuted. So we had, we got a gal, my daughter's been hanging out with this little girl, and her mom is not a Christian. And we know she's not a Christian because when her daughter comes over for mealtime and we pray, her daughter lets us know they don't participate in praying to Jesus. Okay? And so she was all snowed in. She's got a bad back. And we made contact to one of our deacons, and one of our deacons went over to her house and shoveled her out in the name of the Lord. The next thing you know, she's texting my wife, and she's, she's opened up, She's starting to open up spiritually to her. And she's telling her about the stuff that she's being influenced by, which is not good, by the way. Right? There's, there's something about loving your neighbor that draws people to Jesus Christ. I had this four-foot, five-foot berm at the end of my driveway this week, like many of you had, and I was out there digging into it. It was right after the rain, so it wasn't just, it wasn't fun snow. It was satanic snow, okay? And, and, and here I am moving out Satan's berm, doing the best that I can and my neighbor my neighbor has a tractor and he's not a Christian and he comes by with his tractor and he wipes out my berm and I hold on we're not done I had this thought I don't know what God he worships but I might want to hear about it (laughs) I'm not opening myself up to something I'm just letting you know I did cross my mind like Like, man, I don't know what his values or opinions are, but because he did this very kind thing for me, I'm willing to hear what he has to say. And as Christians, we do these things together. So when when a deacon goes and shovels somebody's driveway out, that isn't just the deacon doing it. You're doing it. He represents you. And ultimately, he represents Jesus Christ. Right? We're in this together. Come on. Can we just brag just a little bit do we not have an incredible community here? you made it here this morning so you're incredible so we share in his suffering persecution for sharing our faith but when we share our faith at the same time people might be more apt to say okay there's something different about you there's something unique about you so we share in that Number four, the Bible says we share in his word. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, of the first church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, which is what we're doing right now, and to fellowship 
and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So we share in the word and we share in prayer. And when we come together and we gather together as a church, we hear the word. And this is important because Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, which I think, I, I'm not sure I've ever, I've never heard a pastor mention this, this in, in, a, in, a, in talking about gathering together on Sundays. It's every pastor, this is like every pastor's favorite verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up or provoke one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Because the good habit of a good Christian is to not neglect the gathering together of the saints on a Sunday. It's speaking specifically, if you do your homework, specifically of the gathering of the saints, okay? So, so yeah, we have community groups, and, and we have men's groups, and women's groups, and accountability groups, and all these different Bible studies. And you may not be able to make it to those, but you know what you should be dedicated to? The Sunday morning gathering of the saints. And, and the, the thing that's hard, <laughs> part, part of it you'll see in a moment is on purpose, and, and, and part, of it, part of it's difficult as a pastor because I'm preaching to the choir, right? This isn't a Sunday where everybody came, but you came. So it's not necessarily, like, you better get here on a Sunday, and you're like, I, I did. Ow, <laughs> you know? But a few people said, said, well, I couldn't make it last week, and I didn't make it the week before. I'm coming this week. Because you start to feel it. I've been doing ministry to one degree or another with different titles since 2001. And in my experience, since, since 2001 to 2019, you can always connect somebody's growth, somebody's happiness somebody's malcontent or somebody's sin directly with their church attendance. Now, I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you, listen, because here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can read the Bible one of two ways. One way is you read the Bible, it's all about you and what you must do. We don't believe that. The Bible's not about you, it's about Jesus, and it tells us what's already been done. So this great grace of God, we go, this is what's been done. You've been forgiven, you've been reconciled to Christ, you've been made righteous, You've been given peace that surpasses all understanding. You've been given perfect intimacy and fellowship with Jesus, whether you recognize it or not. And so we come together to be reminded of what has been done. So when we start to, to talk about these commandments and imperatives that exist within Scripture, we have to recognize we don't do it to get anything. We do it because, because it's bursting and overflowing from who we are. So when we say don't, don't neglect the gathering of the saints, yes, your joy is attached to it, but if you show up, if you show up to church to get joy filled came for the wrong reason right my prayer is crazy as it is is it like i don't pray lords i pray people come to church so they become better husbands lord i pray people come to church so they become better wives lord i pray the the youth will come so they'll be better youth and, and i i just pray lord just pray for lost people because we got to convert them no, no 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 i pray that people come to magnify jesus and declare who he is just, this is, it's finished. In their great peace and knowing my fellow brothers and sisters, the work of the cross has declared that all that must be done for you to be saved is done. You should be smiling more. Right? I mean, have you ever been to church in another country? Anybody? Okay. <laughs> the German. Yeah. Um, I've, been to, I've been to several church services in, in Mexico. If you think our services are long, you should try it out in another country. 
And the reason, and then if you study and you look at what some of these individuals do, some of these families do to get to church. Today you were like, man, I had to shovel a berm, and I had to drive into snow, and, and, and how long did it take you? 20 minutes, only supposed to take five. Ridiculous. And some of these people walk hours. They walk hours to get to church, sometimes a full day. And then when they get there, the service lasts hours. Why? Because they don't want to break that fellowship. They don't want to leave it. It's just such a beautiful thing. And, and then you go to the services, and they're excited, and they're jumping around, and they're loving each other, and they hang out forever. You can't get them to leave. I don't think the pastor even locks the church up. At a certain point, he's like, hey, you just, I'm going home. Right? And here, here because, because we have it so good, and we're really not persecuted, we get together, and it's like, it's like is Jesus good? And we go, yeah. Notify your face, please. And, and let your life show it. Like, isn't, we have no reason. And I've had to battle the last three weeks for myself personally of like, okay, Lord, I pray. I'm like, Jesus, I'm a pastor, right? I am, okay. Don't I have extra pool? Can, can we have less snow this weekend? No? Okay. Right? And then, and then the Lord reminding me how good life really is in him. How glorious Jesus really is. We, we share in the gathering together. Number four is sharing in the word, and we share in partnership in the gospel. That's number five. Giving the gospel to one another. Gathering to one another. I have a few statements here that really encompass this idea. That the importance of, of, of fellowship so that we can strengthen each other and encourage one another. And it, it goes like this. Christian friendship exists for this, to say things that will keep each other believing. Small groups exist for this, to say things that will keep each other believing. Christian colleges and seminary classes exist for this, to say things that will keep each other believing. Church planting teams, missionaries all over the world exist for this, to say things that will keep each other believing. Even Christian marriages and parenting exist for this, to say things that will keep each other believing. It's part of the way that we overcome. In fact, another quote from David Mathis says, fellowship may be the often forgotten child of the spiritual disciplines. Notice he defines it as a spiritual discipline. Is discipline a fun word? Anybody ever been on a diet? Okay, we did a class a little while back that Brad Beers taught on spiritual disciplines. The idea of discipline is you say, I'm, I'm going to, in spite of how I feel, do something that is hard and difficult. Prayer is that. Fasting is that. Studying God's word is that. It's a discipline. And so he defines the fellowship, the gathering together of the saints as a discipline. You don't always want to be here. And I can say that because I don't always want to be here. You know the old joke? Dude lying in the bed. His wife tells him he's got to go to church. You know that joke? Well, I'll tell it to you. She says, honey, you got to go to church. You got to go. And he goes, I don't want to go. You got to go. I don't want to go. You got to go. I don't want to go. Why should I go? Why should I go? You're the pastor. Right? I, John MacArthur says this really beautiful thing about the doctrines that they have in their church. He says, 
He says, we, we, don't, we don't say that these are our doctrines. We say, this is what we teach. This is what we teach. And he says that it's important to differentiate that because when we say this is what we teach, we're recognizing that not everybody yet believes what we teach. And we're all on a process of coming to that place in which we actually believe it, including the pastor himself. So we say there are, there are necessary biblical truths that we teach that we know that are true, but we're just like that guy that prays, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So there's a distinction even for the pastor where I have to be honest with you and say, I believe this, but sometimes I don't. Or sometimes I don't want to live it. Or sometimes I want to run from it. And so he says, this gathering together of the saints is an often overlooked spiritual discipline. But this discipline, he says, she may save your life in the dark night of the soul. As you pass through the valley of the shadow of death and the shepherd, the shepherd comforts you with his staff, you will discover that he has fashioned his people to act as his rod of rescue. When the desire has dried up to avail yourself of hearing his voice, the word, and when your spiritual energy has gone to speak to his ear, which is prayer, he sends his body, his church, to bring you back. It's typically not the wanderer's own efforts that prompt his return to the fold, but it's his brother's being to him a priceless means of God's grace, the invaluable backstop. Okay, so the encouragement, right? The encouragement is always Jesus is good. And then beyond that, we recognize he's good. We go, okay, well, what is it that God would call me to do? He would say, he would say, I think to you this morning, church is important. And your whole schedule, I would say, should revolve around making sure that you have the opportunity to gather together with God's people for your joy and for your, for your soul. Does that mean there'll be Sundays you can't make it, like the last three? Yeah. And for those of you who are like, man, I get that. I'm bought in. And many of you are that. I see your faces every single week and thankful for it. So what's, what would be the instruction to you? The instruction would be, you remember in James he says the person, there's this encouragement, the person who saves another's soul, like reaps righteousness, and I'm, I'm butchering it, but it's an encouragement to save other people, basically. The encouragement is for you because you know people that aren't here every week to encourage them to come back to Jesus. Be consistent. And one, of my, one of the things that we do, and it's gotten harder and harder over time, is all of our elders, they get a list. And on that list are your names. If you have filled out a piece of paper somewhere, right? And each elder gets that list of names, and their job for the quarter, we have four quarters in a year, for that quarter is to pray for the people on that list and to reach out to you in some way or another, email, phone call, Sunday morning, to see how you're doing. Right? On that list, and so inevitably what happens for me, because that li- it's incredibly difficult as the guy who stands up here for me to be like, okay, you know, here, here's, here's my 20 people because I'm connected to way more than 20 people. And so I'm doing this all over the place and inevitably what happens is I'll go, man, I haven't seen so-and-so for a while. And then as a good shepherd who, who leaves the 99 to go after the one, I'll make a phone call and go, where are you at? Where you been? How's your faith? As we grow, we, we're trying to fight to keep the community in the unity. And so, and, and so you'll say, the instruction again here is, is, it's one thing for you to get a call from the pastor and be like, where you been? 
right? The socially awkward one-on-one guy. So why weren't you at church last Sunday? It's calling because they care. Uh, I'm actually going to another church. It's a whole other thing for them to hear it from you. Your friend, their family. Like right now, maybe you haven't seen someone in church for a month, two months. You should call that person. You should be, as, as the definition that Mathis uses here, the means of God's grace to bring people back. I've, I've found it amazing to, when I've just simply seen someone in community and somehow the conversation comes around church and I go, yeah, man, I, I haven't seen you there in a while. All of a sudden they open up and then sure enough, guess what happens? They're at church the next Sunday. Good to see you. And then when they come, you don't go, about time. We've been waiting for your return. Where have you been? Right? And then we don't make them go through a bunch of hoops and say, well, in order for you to, to help out around the church, you got to do, you know, no, like, thank you for being part of the family. Thank you for being here. Sometimes it's, I just rejoice that people show up. You know, this morning we had two very capable men clear all the walkways here of four feet of snow because it didn't get shoveled on Thursday. So you could come and enjoy without having to shovel or walk through snow the participation of the gathering of the fellowship of the saints. And because people have stepped up and said, I want to participate in God's kingdom, God's kingdom advances and grows. And the thing that I want us to understand is when we talk about this, there's a macro level to it and a micro level to it. The macro is, is we do this because God wants to, wants to expand his kingdom. Do you believe that? You have to because the Bible teaches it. And if you disagree with it, you're wrong. Okay, good. We're learning. And then the micro level is, is, is it isn't just about growing the church and the kingdom. It's about you and God loving you and caring for you and, and wanting to be in fellowship with you. He cares deeply and intimately with you as the individual. So since, since I know most of us that are here this morning are core group people, because it's just one of those Sundays, can I just share with you where we're at as a church and then we can close and worship in our difficulty. So we're in a little bit of a lull because of the white stuff. I keep referring to it. I, at this point, should stop because it's getting a little overkill. And because we're in a lull, attendance hasn't been as high as it was prior to uh, Snowmageddon. But prior to that, both of the services were completely full. And our children's services next door, completely full. So here we are with this unique place where we're like, man, God has really blessed us. And then, and then, of course, there's this heart that I believe that God has given me that I think is a biblical heart of reaching more people for Jesus. So then you come to this issue of like, okay, both services are full, and the Lord wants to save 200 more people. Maybe more. I mean, I don't know what he wants to save. He wants to save whoever he wants to save. He's God, but... Point being, I believe he wants more people to be saved. Where are we going to put them? At this point, in the snowbank. That's loving your neighbor. Welcome to church. We've got a nice warm spot for you in the back. Maybe on your lap, right? I mean, so, so here's, here's, where we've, here's the discussion that we've had. One of those discussions is church planning. It has been on the table. Do we plant a church? Does God want to plant a church? Another one is, um, well, will God naturally... Uh, 
through the process of, of, you know, a winter like this caused people to move on, and that opens up more chairs, you know, for those who may come in. That's possible. Do we add another service? That's another option as well. Like the, the one that's like most reasonable and easiest is be like, okay, we can grow by another 250 people by just adding a third service. And some of you are thinking, and here, here's the part where like it really challenges your soul. You're like, well, wait a minute here. A third service? Some of you are like super consumeristic and you're like, yeah, I know exactly what time that service should be. I don't get up till noon. Could you make it at one o'clock? And, and then some of you are like, is it going to change my 830 service? Is it going to change my 10? What's it gonna change for me? We start thinking about ourselves, you know. Um, here's the deal, though. If we add the third service, do you know, if, when you look at the, the Vista report when we produce it, we have 30 volunteers over here, 30 volunteers. Over, someone was saying, you know, at some churches, how many volunteers they have. Percentage-wise, you are a serving church. Most of our people in this church are serving somewhere. So you go, okay, we're going to add a third service. We need more people to serve, but everybody's already serving. So what do we do? Do more. You know, you just start stacking it on. No, no, no. It's like we need more people to serve so we can grow because that's what God desires is more people to grow. I believe that Jesus wants to use our church to disciple people according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that. I'm stupid enough to actually have that kind of faith. And I hope you are too. And, and so, so when I mention this, I'm saying, I, I, I just need your prayers. I need your prayers for our church. What does God want for Sierra Bible Church, because if you're not growing, <laughs> there is no, there's no such thing as stagnation. It, it doesn't exist. You're either going forward or you're going backward. And then I've got this little post-it note that I got on my computer, and it says, fight against complexity and fight for simplicity. And the reason is because when you grow, you put more complex systems in place, and then, and then it's harder for people to get involved. It's harder for community to happen. But if you keep it simple, that it's about Jesus, and we don't need all these weird rules and infrastructures. We just need more of Jesus. And the hope would be, the hope would be, right, so some of you, you're already serving, and we're so thankful for you. Keep serving because, because that's what you should do. And then those of you who aren't serving, we're like saying, guess what time it is? Awkward silence. It's time to serve. It's time to say, okay, and it has been strategic through prayer that I felt like, okay, the first thing we needed to do after the transition is what book did we go through as a church? Anyone remember? Like, man, it was that long ago? John. The gospel. The gospel. Right? Like, let's, let's kick this thing off with Jesus. After that, what did we get? Jonah. Which is, hey... God wants his kingdom to grow because that's what the gospel does. The gospel goes to people like Nineveh. After we got the gospel and after we got the gospel's implication towards other people, then we got James, obedience. Now you got to obey. Now you got to do it. Everybody, I love the gospel. I love, I, love, I love other people. Love them all. Okay, now go do something about it. You know what I'm saying? So, Pray for your church leadership because we, we're not making a declaration of this is exactly what we're doing. We're just saying, Lord, if, if we continue to grow the way we are, we've got, we've got to make some changes so that we can do what God's called us to do in discipling people. And this is part of it. 
the reason I wanted to share this message is for this purpose, that in fellowship with one another, our community, we should be growing with one another, and then more of us should want to participate and share in what God's doing here. Hopefully there's something in you that says, man, I want to participate in this. And for those of you that's already participating, I just have to make that side note, like, don't, don't freak out. We're not trying to make you do more. <laughs> We're trying to equip more people to, to do and spread out that work so that more people can come to Jesus Christ. And we, we want to be a part of that here. And maybe one day, don't you think it'd be kind of cool? I'm just dreaming to plant a church. That'd be kind of cool. I'm the only dork here. Like, yeah. More churches for Jesus, bro. And I, what's that? You said, yeah, we've already had this conversation. Sparks. We had okay. Here's here we have like thirty people who come from Reno to be here, so we could start a church in Reno tomorrow. So if anyone wants to give to that endeavor, you let me know, and uh, we'll do it. So partake in the glory of God. Partake fellowship. Share in this, and and let's just see what God does. Because I don't know what He's going to do. I'm I am not I'm not a biblical prophet. I can't declare the future. But what I do know is we have an incredible thing that God has given us here. Amen? I want to continue to fight for it. I want more people to be a part of it. Let's pray. Even though I'm an introvert, by the way. See? More people. Jesus, we thank you for um, today. We thank you for your, your word and your gospel. I pray as we sing that uh, you would allow your truth to just vibrate within our hearts. We thank you that you continue to draw people to yourself. Lord, in spite of the fact that they probably don't even want to be with you, you just have a magnetism to you that is irresistible. And I just ask for that, Lord, that that pull to go deeper into the community here and communities on the outside to, uh, to just draw more men, women, and children to yourself, that they would experience your joy and your glory and just know you in a great way. Challenge us and to help us grow, Lord, as you see fit, and we trust you for it. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand for this last